Alright, hello everybody. Today is Friday, another Anything Goes Friday. Welcome to the show. How's everybody doing? Hope everyone is well. Just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that there is a new series on this channel talking about a possible discovery in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and it is called just that, Zodiac Killer New Discovery, The Moraga Letters, and it is coming out on the weekends. There's an ongoing series about the New Orleans Axeman that comes out on the Wednesday show. The Axeman of New Orleans is another unidentified serial killer who operated in the earlier part of the 20th century, around 1918 and 1919, and those episodes come out on Wednesdays, and of course every Monday is Zodiac Monday here on BBOR. And if you would like to support any of these efforts, you can like, subscribe, and also go over to buymeacoffee.com. There's a link to that in the description box. Buymeacoffee.com allows you to make a donation or contribution to help support the show, and anybody who makes a contribution will get a shout-out on Zodiac Mondays. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about Shel Cavalli, a man who was not only a Zodiac killer suspect and widely discussed Zodiac killer suspect, he had an enormous life completely separate from the true crime world. And those of you who follow the Zodiac Killer news reports that I do on Monday know that I was reading the book Lunches with Mr. Q by Kevin Nelson, but I had to put that one down and pick up some other books such as Robert Talon's Ready to Hang, which talks about the New Orleans Axeman, but I really wanted to get back to this book on Cavale because it's not talking about anything Zodiac-related. It's talking about Shel Cavale's ideas, his life story, and we hear so much about suspects and unsolved mysteries, but this one was a breath of fresh air in some ways because it's just answering the question, what was this guy like? I mean, you hear all these things about maybe he's living some type of double life and he's actually a serial killer. Well, what was he like when Kevin Nelson, the uh, writer, is trying to interview him and just to learn about his thought process. Shilkavale was born in 1919 in Trondheim, Norway. He came to the United States at a rather early age, in his early preteen years, and there was a video of him that's even available on YouTube when he talks about growing up in Norway, he really enjoyed the horses, and that became a major passion in his life. And if you have heard some of my previous episodes, some of this will be a little bit uh, repetitive for you, but it is um, available to people who are listening to this as a standalone episode. Cavale was someone who not only liked horses, but he would grow up to be very passionate with horse racing. He was a pure speed junkie. He was a speed addict, it seems. I shouldn't have phrased it like that, because that could mean something different. But he just has this need for speed that wouldn't go away. Not only did he get into horse racing, but auto racing, boat racing, and he was a runner. He unofficially tied the world record held by Jesse Owens at the time for the 100-meter dash, 100-yard dash, excuse me, and he just is putting himself in all of these different places where speed is the focus, different types of racing, and I definitely think that affected his personality, because when I was reading this book, Every chapter is just giving something 
extraordinary that Shelkavale did. Firstly, he made his fortune in the auto business, and he just seemed to have this driven motivation. And I know that sounds really, really tacky, but that's what it was. It's just, he's always go, 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 all these business ideas, and he's actually doing them and putting them into action. But outside of the auto business, he was an organizer of tennis tournaments, which went on to become the women's pro tour. He got into movie producing for one film, which did not do too well. And Shelkavale also tried to launch his own automobile, the Cavale Mangusta. Mangusta, the Italian word for mongoose. And that one failed. And that was one of the kind of, again, just breath of fresh air moments in the book when, the, when I was reading this, Lunches with Mr. Q by Kevin Nelson, because it reminded me that the guy's human. I mean, all I'm just hearing is, this dude has some wild business ideas, and they're all succeeding, and oh yeah, yeah, he um, helped create the women's pro tour, and you know, helping out Billie Jean King and such. No, he tried to launch his own auto business, and his own automobile, actually, and it failed. And that that's actually referred to in the book as one of his biggest defeats. But he just approached it with a sense of optimism. He learned some things, and he wasn't completely ruined. But it was a reminder that even the mighty can fall from time to time. But I also noticed that Cavale had not only a passion for speed and the look and models of the cars, he also had a passion for sales. I mean, he's a businessman, and he talks a lot about sales with Kevin Nelson, and then it, the stories are reiterated in the book. And the thing that I had shared on the Zodiac News reports in the past was that he said, never, ever give somebody a discount, because you give discounts because you want to help people, but the way you help people is by staying in business. If you were to go out of business, you wouldn't be able to help anyone. How does a business stay up in operation? It turns a profit. So you need to earn money, not give people discounts. That's less money. And when I was reading that, I thought, oh my gosh, yep, this dude's a serial killer. Yep, absolute psychopath. Never ever give someone a discount. But when you put it in context, and I thought about it for a little while, I could understand where he was coming from and what he was talking about, because it's just that. And it's talking about how generosity might be somewhat overrated. And I openly adore the principles of peace, love, kindness, and generosity. I think that they are genuinely good things that we need to strive toward. But after reading this book, it did allow me to think in a new way, and that is that, sure, peace, love, kindness, and generosity, but in that order, peace and love are tied for first, and kindness is second, and generosity can now be a distant third, because they talk about this in self-help and psychology, when even you're just watching videos on YouTube, and they're talking about life coaching, or just inspirational sayings. They talk about this all the time. You want to just give, 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 and you expect that it will be reciprocated back to you. But most of the time, that won't happen. 
In fact, most of the time, people will not appreciate it. It's the whole concept of how you cannot change a person by being nice to them or being generous to them. Because if you give do something in the name of generosity, you've already accepted the person before they've changed. You've accepted them as they are, so their behavior isn't going to change. And the therapist-turned-YouTuber Daniel Mackler talked about this a lot when he referred to it as the unhealthy form of love. Like, why are people actually doing these things? I mean, are they doing it because they want to allow people to feel better? Or do they want to feel better themselves? Do they want to make it easier to buy the car by giving them a discount? Or do they want to feel good about themselves, like, oh, I was, I was nice to that person, I am so generous, just fueling one's own self-image and sense of self-importance in a different way, and I think Shel Cavale truly understood that, and I also noticed how there's somewhat of an emotional separation from him, and the ideas that he had expressed in this book, because, again, watching another internet psychologist, or I should say psychologist turned YouTuber, Dr. Romney, talked about how a lot of business executives are sociopaths, and I'm paraphrasing this, but what she said was that almost all high-level business executives are either sociopathic or they have some sociopathic tendencies, because sometimes there's a problem in the business world, and the sociopath isn't going to hesitate. They're just going to stop it. They're just going to solve the problem, no matter what. Even if a hundred people lose their jobs, whatever, no, do it. Feel nothing, feel no remorse, or they're not going to weigh the pros and cons. And with Shoka Valle, I absolutely am not convinced that he was a sociopath, but was he somebody who was definitely all about rationality and logic and reason, and did he have a mean side? Oh, yes, he sure did. And it's all explored here in this book, Lunches with Mr. Q by Kevin Nelson. Firstly, he was someone who did not value academic smarts by itself. In fact, he really looked down on people who were, quote-unquote, book smart, but not street smart. And he had his own expression for this, that someone who is book smart, but not street smart, is two times smart and three times stupid. And Kevin Nelson even play, pays close attention to the how Mr. Cavale would refer to stupid people in many different ways. So he had a mean side that I find is often neglected in a lot of the discussions because all you're seeing is just, he's this um, wealthy, intelligent, go-getter type of businessman. But it seems like he had somewhat of a personality that is just, as he said in the title of his own memoir, never looking back, always looking forward, and just leaving people behind in the dust. I'm, I think, I wish I had used that as the final line for the episode, but I think you can get the idea. He is definitely putting his own plans into action, and I remember I was listening to an episode of Free Domain Radio once, and they were talking about how, again, business executives can have that type of sociopathic tendency, 
or that type of just pure rationality. And I think all of this will apply to Mr. Cavalli for a particular reason, which I'll get to. But that particular episode talked about how a guy's talking about his sister. And he's saying that his sister is just a ball of logic and reason. And she just solves problems in a very rational and rational way automatically. And the only time he ever felt or he ever had an emotional connection with his sister was at one time during his childhood she showed some emotion or empathy because she was reading a story about a horse and the horse died and he came into her bedroom and gave her a hug for what felt like an hour and he said that's the only time one time and his sister actually had the opportunity to become the ceo of a company but one of their parents had died so she had to back out but that's exactly what dr romney was talking about those types of tendencies are very valuable in the business world and i think that all of this is relevant to somebody like shel cavale someone who had that particular type of insight when he was able to look at a problem figure out how to solve it and then move on and achieve the next thing. But I'm being very clear again. I don't think Shulkavale was a sociopath. I think he was just a very rational and thoughtful, calculating, mentally organized person who was perhaps even power assertive. But he definitely showed passions in life, as I said, for horses, as well as cars. How about that? I mean, so many things in the book, Lunches with Mr. Q, about his passion for cars, or just that he wanted to earn money and generate wealth. But I also thought there was a particularly interesting part of the book when it talks about how Shel Cavale had several brothers and sisters but the one he was closest to was his brother Bjarne, B-J-A-R-N-E. Again, they're a Norwegian family. And Bjarne was younger than Shell. However, they mostly just didn't have any disagreements. And in context, I think that that stands out that Shell might have had some particular types of disconnect from his parents or that there may have just been a little bit of a lack of bonding. But on the notion, uh, or on the note of Shell's family, you might see a photo of him going around on the internet that is labeled as Shell Cavale. I've even used it at least once by mistake. And Mike Rodelli, who's the author of In the Shadow of Mount Diablo, the Zodiac book about Shell Cavale, informed me that that's actually Cavalli's brother, Canute, or I should say Shell's brother, Canute. His last name was Cavalli as well, Canute Cavalli. And Canute was heavily involved in the auto business as well. When I was reading Canute Cavalli's obituary, it might as well have been written about Shell. Auto business, tycoon, rational-minded, all of these things were applying to him. And, you know, they're family members, they're brothers. But what I think is... Um, truly interesting is how Shell goes on to become a Zodiac killer suspect, and he is someone who perhaps would have been the wealthiest Zodiac killer suspect. He may have been the most accomplished Zodiac killer suspect, and did this man actually live a major double life? Was he just somebody who was frustrated with the need for speed. Okay, horse racing is no longer entertaining, nor auto racing, boat racing. No, he's already done all that. He even tied the world record for the 100 
meter dash, as I said before. So, what's he going to do? Is it some type of criminal deviant behavior? And there's some things in the Zodiac's uh, psychological profile that point toward a mentally organized killer, and um, I have a whole episode about that, and I would invite you to check out a book discussion that I did on Microdeli's The Hunt for Zodiac, which is available here on this channel, and um, there are more than a thousand episodes of Black Box Online Radio, so you can have a look through any of them, including the Zodiac Killer News Reports, but Cavalli was also someone who created his own 12 rules for life, and I would like to go through some of those right now. Because the first one is trust your gut, then listen to your heart and intuition. They will tell you the direction you need to go. Number three, if a deal goes bad, it goes bad, so be it. Put it behind you and be confident your next decision will be the right one. And I have to jump in with this one because I think that that just represents that type of rationality that I was talking about, about problem-solving, not hesitating. And of course, they, they talk about this in business all the time. Warren Buffett famously said that for an investor, the rearview mirror is clearer than the windshield, meaning, yeah, of course you can understand your mistakes in retrospect, but Shel Cavale's memoir was titled, I Never Look Back. I mean, I think that he's just about yeah, of course, you can learn from the mistakes, but he was just so focused on being a go-getter, he isn't even bothered by it. It also reminds me of a quote from perhaps the somewhat disliked Colin Powell when he said, get mad and then get over it, one of his rules for life. But I think that this does show the type of problem-solving and decision-making that a high-profile business executive would have. Number four. Something good could happen. Remember that. Take an optimistic view of life. Again, another example that we've been through. Him losing out on the Cavale Motors, Cavale Mangusta. That car didn't take off, which really wasn't such a bad-looking car. When I think of the Italian Mangus, Cavale Mangusta, I was really expecting something hideous. Like maybe that car Homer Simpson designed that had three horns that all play La Cucaracha that cost $82,000. No, yeah, like it wasn't, it was, it, it was better than that, I suppose. But the next one on Shel Cavale's uh, list for life is number five. Nothing is permanent in life, including you. Enjoy yourself, have fun. But this is partnered with number six. Go easy on the indulgences. The best pleasures are the simplest. Isn't it great to hear a millionaire telling you that the best pleasures are the simplest? I mean, this guy would import cars from even as far as India just to look at them. You know, let's bring a car across the Pacific Ocean to California. I just kind of want to see what it's like. You know, poke around a little bit. Maybe we'll learn something about it and... Oh, yes, but the best pleasures are the simplest. That would definitely be something that the executive is going to be passing on down to the employees. Number seven, dress nice. It will help you in sales and in many other departments of life as well. Number eight, listen to your friends and family. Just don't listen to them too much. Number nine, stand up for what you believe, no matter how unpopular or out of date it may seem to others. And again, I listen to lots of things about life coaching or just what people talk about with 
assertiveness training and conflict resolution, or people tell their own stories on YouTube about how they handled problems, stand up for what you believe no matter how unpopular or out of date it may seem to others. This can also fill people's heads with a little bit of nonsense sometimes, thinking, oh, well, this business executive told me to stand up for myself and call out other people when they're doing something wrong, no matter how unpopular it is. What they should include in this, in this rule for life, is if you're going to stand up to other people, get ready for a fight. Because sometimes the other person isn't going to take kindly to your words, and they're going to retaliate. And if you do something that, even if you're even if you're completely in the right, like say someone is doing something abusive to somebody else, hey, you should not do that, that's bad. The other person isn't simply just going to recognize, oh, well, no one's ever called me out on this before. Okay, I'm going to stop doing the bad thing. No, they're going to try and fight you. So, stand up for what you believe in, no matter how unpopular or out of date it may seem to others and get ready for a fight. Why don't we phrase it that way? Number 10. Take risks. Blaze a path. Find the MGTC of your life and go with it. And I would like to partner that with another self-help statement. Taking action without a strategy sets you up for demoralization. Oh, oh Cavale's right. Cavale's right, absolutely. Take risks, but have a strategy. And I heard something really um, interesting in a video of, um, recently when someone was saying that, have you ever known someone who had a business idea, right? And the example they used in the video was a bookstore. And they're talking about opening a bookstore and they're saying, oh, I think I would like to have a bookstore like this. And they actually go through with the idea. They took the risk, right? They went through with the idea. And they open a bookstore. And it's not doing well. And they say, well, I think the bookstore could still work if, if, if I did it this way. And then it doesn't, and it goes out of business. And then they're saying, I still think it could have worked if only I had done that. It's just, I think this, I think that, I still think this. And it's all about what they're thinking. They're not living in the external world. They're just living in their own mind, and they're just expecting that other people are going to like their business idea. I think this. I think that. Why aren't people buying my stuff? I think they should. But somebody like Shelka Valle, I mean, I don't think this. I know this. He had the ability to master both worlds, to have his ideas, and to put them into action, and to succeed with them. And I think the overwhelming reason for that was, firstly, he was very rational, and he had that type of problem-solving aspect and go-getter aspect where he's not going to hesitate, he's just going to go for it. Think about what I said uh, involving the um, person who was just a ball of logic and reason. I'm being clear, I noticed some of those tendencies in Shell, that's why I included that story. But it's like, he's not just living in his the world of his own emotions, like that hypothetical example of the bookstore owner. No, he's living in a world where there are principles and problems, and he can solve them very easily because he's rational, analytical, and he's paying attention to how other people behave. And please, please note that in almost every rule that I'm talking about, I'm not really disagreeing with it. I'm just expanding on it because 
I think there is a certain sense of honesty that needs to be included in these things, like rules for life and so on, but uh, Schell also says in number 11, 92 years may seem like a long time, but it's really not. In the time you have, use it. And number 12, oh yes, drive beautiful cars. In fact, I would like to just read the uh, list one, one more time straight up. Mr. Q's 12 Rules for Successful Living. Number one, trust your gut. Number two, listen to your heart and intuition. They will tell you the direction you need to go. Number three, if a deal goes bad, it goes bad. So be it. Put it behind you and be confident your next decision will be the right one. Number four, something good could happen. Remember that. Take an optimistic view of life. Number five, nothing is permanent in life, including you. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. Number six. Go easy on the indulgences. The best pleasures are the simplest. Number seven. Dress nice. It will help you in sales and in many other departments of life as well. Number eight. Listen to your friends and family. Just don't listen to them too much. Number nine. Stand up for what you believe, no matter how unpopular or out of date it may seem to others. And number ten. Take risks. Blaze a path. Find the MGTC of your life and go with it. Number 11, 92 years may seem like a long time, but it's really not, and the time you have, use it. And number 12, oh yes, drive beautiful cars. Uh, some, of course, a millionaire is going to be telling you exactly how to live, and he might um, have some good points. And he definitely will have good points about business, but there's a difference between being an average Joe and being the millionaire who has employees who have to listen to them, because he is indeed the boss, and he seems like somewhat of a competent boss. But I would like to ask you guys a challenge question, because I was watching a business video once, I think it was from Ray Dalio, but I'm not 100% sure, it was several months ago, and he said that he never worried about making business decisions because he knew what he was doing. He's like a billionaire. And he just said he never worried about his business decisions, because he knew what he was doing. And with Shell Cavale, I think 90% of the time, 95% of the time, he's in the same boat. I mean, maybe sometimes he fell through on things, such as the Cavale Mangusta. But what is your answer to that question that I'll ask right now? What is your answer to this question, rather? What is the thing that you never worried about doing because you were good at it? I mean, I don't know what you guys would say. Maybe you're really into cooking spicy chili or something like that. Maybe you're really into exercise and fitness and you never worried about it because you knew what you were doing. With me, um, I was never worried about buying true crime books because I would oh, I always knew that I would get around to reading them at some point. Terrible answer, but feel free to share a better answer for something in your life. No, I do uh, read about true crime, and that's why I thought this book was somewhat different, because everything, I repeat, everything that I had read about Shulkavale in the past was always connected to the Zodiac Killer mystery. Zodiac operated in 1968 and 69, and Mike Rodelli is, of course, the loudest voice that Shel Cavale was the Zodiac killer. Shel was born in 1919, so he would have been 50 years old at the time of the Zodiac crimes spree, but he looked 
younger. He, as I said, he's a former runner, athlete, as well as millionaire. He would have been in very good shape, and he would have easily been able to fool people into thinking that he was younger. But to talk about the psychological aspects of why there is some type of suggestion that the Zodiac Killer was a mentally organized serial killer or a high-profile individual. The Zodiac said that he would tie, or sorry, he would tape and secure a pencil flashlight to the gun barrel, and that is something that he used during the Lake Herman Road murders on December 20th of 1968, allegedly. And the profiler, Richard Walter, said that that person said gun barrel and not the barrel of the gun, which is much more common. Firstly, Shulkavale owned a horse named Gun Barrel, and secondarily, it also shows that someone is coming from a rather advanced and almost superior set of mind, because it's not rough language, it's showing a certain type of organization. Another point to show that the Zodiac is some type of elite individual is that he rode on monarch-sized stationery, which is more like a high-end type of stationery. Shulkavale also wrote on monarch-sized stationery, and if you read Mike Rodelli's book, you'll find that Shulkavale had relatives who had significant dates in their life which were connected to the Zodiac crimes. Again, this is all alleged. Shulkavale was never convicted of being the Zodiac killer, but it goes to show you that there are some elements of synchronicity, or some dates in his family tree do correspond with dates of zodiac activity. But you can always be the judge, and you can always share anything that you particularly like. I would definitely want to read more about the 1947 UFO sighting involving Shel Cavale, but I would also like to read more about his involvement in World War II. I think that would be equally, if not more, fascinating, and maybe there'll even be some more World War II episodes on this channel. I used to talk a lot about Adolf Hitler, and I have done several episodes on him, the old black box recordings. But my ultimate conclusion is that after reading this book, I think that it was very humanizing, because my original understanding of Shel Cavale was he, that he was just a powerhouse, of business ideas, whether it's the horses, whether it's the cars, the importing and the exporting, whether it's the sales aspect, he just has all of these business ideas, and they're all mostly working, and he even tried to have like a career change later in his life, oh, I think that was in his 70s when he's talking about going into banking, and he's having a big reversal, and then in his 90s, he starts learning the piano, like as he said in, in his one rule, 92 years is not that long. But I think that he was a mentally organized person. He was of above-average intelligence, very strong decision-making skills, very strong problem-solving skills, and much more than that, he um, perhaps was able to do things that could actually 
succeed. And he's not just living in this world of emotions. He's living in a world of rationality, but still able to understand emotions. Not like someone who actually is a clinical psychopath and is just cut off from that and doesn't care and is just trying to manipulate people. But I think that Shelkavale definitely had perhaps that mean side that I mentioned about just looking down on other people, thinking that everyone is stupid, that people don't have um, any particular uh, type of um, intelligence if they don't have the street smarts as well as the book smarts. And I doubt he used that exact term, but maybe the school of hard knocks would be another way of putting it, or life experience, or they didn't have the ability to make decisions outside of the academic world. Again, I mean, we, we say this all the time, someone can be book smart or they can be street smart. And I think that um, Cavale recognized the importance of both, but that just ties into his problem-solving abilities. What do you think about Shel Cavale and any of the observations that I made about him? And you can always um, share what you think about um, the Zodiac Killer mystery. But one more time, the book is Lunches with Mr. Q by Kevin Nelson, talking about the life of Shel Cavale, um an auto-executive, for lack of a better term, who may have been living a double life as a serial killer, but also was just someone who had a lot of, a lot of strong ideas about life in general. Okay, that's all for me now. I will see you guys over on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.